Our conversation is with Mr. Yuri Alexandrovich Bezmyanov. He was the son of a high-ranking Soviet Army officer. He had an outstanding career with the press agency of the Soviet Union. It turns out that this is also a front for the KGB. He escaped to the West in 1970 after becoming totally disgusted with the Soviet system, and he did this at great risk to his life. He certainly is one of the world's outstanding experts on the subject of Soviet propaganda and disinformation and active measures. When the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean? Ideological subversion or active measures, in the language of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing process, and it's divided in four basic stages. The first one being demoralization. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Do you believe then that men can become pregnant and have abortions? Yes. What has this world come to? It's come to a world where drag kids actually exist. And people do ketamine on a couch. The next stage is destabilization. Economy. There are some dire predictions on where the world economy is going. Foreign relations. Some of the world's superpowers could be on a collision course. Defense systems. The U.S. Army is cutting back its expectations due to, quote, unprecedented recruitment challenges. The next stage, of course, is crisis. Folks, we're in a crisis. After crisis, you have so-called the period of normalization. When we say getting back to normal, we mean something very different from what we're going through right now. The demoralization process is basically completed already. I could never believe it when I landed in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. This is exactly what the KGB and Marxist-Leninist propaganda wants from Americans, to distract their opinion and tension from real issues of the United States, to have a bunch of duped Americans, then Americans who are healthy, physically fit, and alert to the reality. What is your ideal political or social structure? Communist utopia. That's why my KGB instructors specifically made the point, try to get into filthy rich movie makers, intellectuals, cynical, egocentric people who can look into your eyes with angelic expression and tell you a lie. These are the people who KGB wanted very much to recruit. All these professors and all these beautiful civil rights defenders, they are instrumental in the process of subversion only to destabilize the nation. When their job is completed, they think that they will come to power. That will never happen, of course. The psychological shock when they will see in future what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, obviously they will join the links of dissenters. Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. The United States is in the state of war. The initiator of this war is the world communist system. The only solution is communist revolution. That's why we need communists. That's what we need. This is it. This is the last country of freedom 
and, and possibility. Okay, so what do we do? What is your recommendation to the American people? The immediate thing that comes to my mind is, of course, there must be a very strong national effort to educate people in, in, in the spirit of real patriotism, number one. Number two, to, to explain them the real danger of socialist, communist, whatever, welfare state, big brother government. If people will fail to grasp the impending danger, nothing ever can help United States. You may kiss goodbye to your freedom, including your precious lives. I know Americans don't like to listen to things which are unpleasant. I tried to get the message across to my horror. Nobody wanted even to listen, least of all to believe what I had to say. The time bomb is ticking with every second. The disaster is coming closer and closer. Unlike myself, you will have nowhere to defect to. United States, wake up. Welcome to the American Journal. I am Chase Geyser, your host this morning. So much craziness going on in the world. Harrison will be back tomorrow, I believe. And Owen Schroyer, I believe, is hosting the Alex Jones Show today, though I can't confirm for sure. It was up in the air last night, so we'll see what happens today on the InfoWars Network. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you share this everywhere and follow us everywhere we can be found on X at Real Chase Geyser at Real Alex Jones, Harrison H. Smith, Owen Schroer, 1776, and of course, at InfoWars. Where do we begin? Obviously, all sorts of things have been on our minds over the course of the last several weeks. The most recent development being the Supreme Court agreeing to hear the case pertaining to presidential immunity and putting a cease or a halt on all ballot restrictions that have been proposed, suggested, passed, or enforced in different states in the United States of America. And we know that this tactic of getting candidates off ballots is anything but democratic. So those who advocate for democracy are constantly demonstrating their hypocrisy in all of their actions virtually. Even this war in Ukraine, especially, I think, given that Zelensky has insisted that elections be postponed in his country so that he can save democracy. I don't know what democracy is, if not a system of elections. And this Supreme Court news that we've received is promising, yet I remain skeptical. Now, I know that traditionally the Supreme Court has been supportive of Donald Trump. The left loves to accuse the Supreme Court of being Donald Trump's Supreme Court specifically. But the greatest advantage is that this buys time. So by putting a stay or a stop or a halt on these ballot access restrictions while it hears the case, buys time. And there's a limited amount of time until the election on November 5th. So that is an advantage, but at the same token, we shouldn't get lost in the fact that this could be good news because it's a tragedy that it's even gotten to this point. Frankly, as time has gone on throughout our history, in the last 50 years especially, it seems like every Supreme Court case that is heard is more and more ridiculous in many cases. Things like whether or not the most popular candidate for president 
should or should not be allowed on ballots, despite the fact that this president hasn't been convicted of any crime whatsoever. Those are the types of issues that should never make it so far as to get to the desk of the Supreme Court. We're supposed to have a system of checks and balances. We're supposed to have a system that catches these things early on so it doesn't even make it past the first court or the first suggestion or the first order is shot down. Our judicial system is massive. Millions of people work for the federal government, and yet for some reason there's no semblance of wisdom among any of these bureaucrats to be found anywhere. I mean, just imagine how asinine it is. And this is not something that Trumpers say or MAGA Republicans say or white wing extremists say just because they love Trump so much and they're part of the Trump cult and they have the inverse of Trump derangement syndrome where nothing he says or does can be wrong. This isn't something that some right wing radical extremist view that's totally unreasonable, irrational and irresponsible. This is something that I would be saying. Perhaps less passionately, but certainly explicitly admitting. If we're happening to a Democratic candidate, do I think that Joe Biden should be president of the United States? No. Do I think he should be on the ballot? Yes. Do I hope that he's on the ballot? Absolutely. Because right now it seems to me that the greatest threat to our democracy, which is really a constitutional republic, as you know, and as you know that I know, the greatest threat to our constitutional republic is that some leftist gets thrown in as the candidate at the last minute and in sort of an ambush campaign, catches everybody off guard and sweeps the field because the general populace, struggling so much because of inflation and unemployment and high bankruptcies and record credit card debt, doesn't have the time to look into it. They just want to pick anybody else. They're just going to be so relieved that the conversation is no longer about Trump or Biden, Biden or Trump, Kamala or Trump, Trump or Biden. They're going to be so relieved that some newcomer is in the race that they're just going to vote for that person as a protest to the system, which they inherently know is corrupt and evil and unjust because of the experience that they're having right now, because of the suffering that they're feeling right now. And finally, we have reached a point in this country where the corruption of our political class has trickled down to the populace. Now, we don't have an awakened populace yet. We have a population that is participating in a great awakening. It's on its way to being awake. We don't have an aware populace. And I know this because even when I talk to my relatives and friends whom I formerly thought to be politically aware, I am astounded at how little they know because they, don't, they simply don't have the time to look into all this stuff. And so what's happening is this corruption has gotten so entrenched or just embodied, symbiotic, it's like a parasite on our political system, that it's finally trickled down in the people who are unaware Though good intention in many cases, I think. I I believe in the soul and character and the heart of the American people still. They start to begin to feel the suffering that falls upon them because of this corruption. So you don't know why it is that you're thinking about foreclosing on your house. You don't know why it is that every other phone call you receive is from a debt collector. 
You don't know why it is that somehow you find yourself anxious to check the mail because every other day it's a notice either from the IRS or a notice from a creditor or a bill. And you feel the pang of every time your automated payment on your cell phone policy comes in. And you feel the pain of knowing that you have to buy clothes for your kids because it's that time of year. Seasons are changing and you don't know how you're going to put the money together. But you don't know why it's happening because you've been working three jobs to just try to make ends meet. I mean, when Trump was president of the United States, everybody had one good job. Now that Joe Biden is in place and we have Bidenomics, everybody has three crappy jobs. In between driving for DoorDash and working at a restaurant and teaching during the day and whatever you're trying to wrangle together, you don't really have time to dive into whether or not 9-11 was an inside job, do you? Or you don't really have time to dive into the Hunter Biden laptop emails. You don't really have time to look in to the just astronomical levels of corruption between Ukraine and our political class and Russia and China and Israel and Gaza. And how it's all connected and entrenched in this globalist agenda that's been manifest ever since the 1970s. Basically, we went off the gold standard and Klaus Schwab started mysteriously hypnotizing people to forget the fact that his father was a voluntary Nazi responsible for research into atomic weapons for the Nazis. Nobody knows. You ask the random person who Klaus Schwab is on the street, they're not really going to know. We know because he's the embodiment of a James Bond villain, and we talk about him all the time, and his agenda is just astounding. The fact that he's been able to get all the world leaders together, and he speaks as if it's not a problem that he has penetrated the cabinet. So when they have this suffering, they just know something's wrong with the system. They don't know exactly what it is, so they can't make an informed decision. That is the people. And so what happens is the left has this terrible president and Joe Biden. He's the dementia in chief. And half the population just inherently has an antagonistic view toward President Trump simply because of all the propaganda that has been spewing for the last, gosh, eight years now. First associating him with Trump, or excuse me, associating Trump with Putin and then building Putin up to be some world enemy and then starting this proxy war with putin so every time you criticize putin in the back of people's minds since you married putin's brand with trump's brand you feel like it's a bash on trump and then you start to wonder whether or not trump is a crony or a crook or corrupt or evil or soulless or a sociopath or a psychopath and so as the general populace who's unaware and suffering and not really feeling Donald Trump because you've fallen for the psychological operation, the mass brainwashing from the intelligence community upon the American people and frankly the world for that matter. And because you realize that Joe Biden can't put a sentence together or walk off of a stage without making it abundantly obvious of his cognitive decline and the vulnerability of our nation and frankly the humiliation and embarrassment of who the president of the United States is, when they throw some random replacement candidate in for Joe Biden, everybody's going to feel like this is great news. We finally have an alternative to the establishment system. We finally have something different that we can do, someone different that we can vote for. So they throw in a Michelle Obama, or if they throw in a Gavin Newsom, or if they throw in any number of these names that has been 
tossed out as a potential replacement candidate, the mass populace, in their ignorance, God bless them, is going to think that it's an alternative to this established system. They're going to think it's a good thing. They're going to vote impulsively for that instead of something that they've seen before because when things are bad, people begin to think, okay, I'll vote for anything else because this sucks. I mean, how many people on the Titanic would have been happy to exchange their tickets with someone on the Lusitania after they hit the iceberg? It's just something different. And the Democrats know this. They have psychologically abused us into this sort of gaslighting state of mind, mindset, where we have this Stockholm syndrome, where we begin in some sick way to trust and know and love the establishment, which takes one out of every four hours of our lives through taxation, which seizes our children from the age of four until they graduate from college for the majority of the day to indoctrinate them, which is responsible for the countless wars that we've been in over the last 50 years, the over 500,000 civilians that died between the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. This system, which is responsible for the false flag operations that have gotten us in those wars. This system, which is responsible for the major economic collapse that we faced in 2008, yet did not hold any single bank or banker accountable. No financial professional went to prison, or served any time with maybe the exception of one person that was convicted of wire fraud for what happened in 2008. The entire economy collapsed because of a lie and an intentional lie over and over again by all of the financial elite. This system, which spies on our candidates, spies on our people, imprisons our protesters, Wages war on behalf of every nation except our own. This nation which leaves our border wide open so that migrants can flood across and commit rape after rape. And then when they're convicted or arrested, rather, and charged with rape, they're released for pennies or nothing at all just to commit these crimes again. This nation is abusive to its people. And I'm not talking about America. I am talking about the United States. They are very different. And I long for the day when at a Republican rally, you don't hear the crowd shouting, USA, USA. You hear the crowd shouting America, America, America over and over again. Because once we realize in this country that there is a difference between the United States and America, we will understand who the real traitors are where our patriotism should be, where our hearts and minds and souls should be committed. Because right now we're in this abusive relationship with this government that has done all the things I just listed. And yet, out of some sort of desperate hope, we allow ourselves to be in denial 
to just embrace this cognitive dissonance of believing that somehow he's not going to hit me again. It was my fault. I'm going to stick it out because I know deep down he loves me. The way our population responds to our government is like, frankly, it's like a beaten woman. A woman in an abusive relationship. And the only correct moral solution, the only healthy solution to this is to get out of the relationship. And I'm not asking for civil war. I'm not calling for violence or explicit hot revolution. I am calling for a cultural revolution, for lack of a better term. I am calling for a great awakening, a renaissance, a rebirth in awareness, a massive shift in the zeitgeist and the spirit of the times where we come together as the American people, we take our country back, and we insist. Because despite how corrupt this government is, despite how evil our politicians are, all the money laundering that they commit, all the human trafficking that they allow— all the operations that our deep state is able to conduct behind closed doors because it has become the fourth unchecked branch of our government. Despite this, there is still some semblance of accountability left in our country. I vehemently believe this, and it's not because I'm brainwashed or in cognitive distance. It's getting more and more difficult, but I know there's some semblance of accountability because if there wasn't, then the Epsteins wouldn't even be charged then the Hunter Bidens wouldn't even be investigated. And I know that it's a show in large and that justice doesn't really come to these people. And I know that the list never got released and Hunter might get away with it. But the fact that we're seeing this so open and obvious before us means that there is some schism. There is some pushback within the established system. There are white hats and black hats in the CIA, in the FBI, in every government organization, and they are at war with each other, similar to how the United States is at war with Russia and China. It's not a hot war. It's not an explicit war, but it's happening behind the scenes. It's undercover. It's secret, covert. And it's tearing us apart. But if there was no accountability, then why would our politicians lie to us repeatedly, if the truth didn't matter to them, why would they insist that we believe a lie? If the truth wasn't a threat to them, why would they do everything they can to convince the people that Joe Biden is fit for office? Everything is fine. Russia is evil. Zelensky is good. Israel has never done anything wrong. Gaza isn't supportive of Hamas. All lies. The fact that they're lying to us is what encourages me, folks, because if they're lying to us, it means that they know the truth can bring them down. So if the truth is ultimately our only weapon against globalism or the political class or the sacrifice of our national sovereignty or the death of Western culture as a whole via this replacement migration, which we've been seeing over the last several years, if truth is the weapon, then truth is both the means and the end to the info war. You know, I've said before on air that the info war 
is never over. You're either winning it or you're losing it. And maybe that's true. I dream of a day where there's just an ultimate victory and some sort of system is established where truth always prevails in the end, like a Power Rangers episode where the good guys always win and they always prevail. But I I doubt that a total victory in an info war is possible because of original sin, because of the fall of man, because of the imperfection of humanity. We can't create a utopia. We can't create a perfect system. And every Christian knows that, but now that our civilization is less and less Christian or religious or faithful or God-believing, they replace God with the state or some utopian ideal, and they praise that and worship that and fight for that with the same zeal of any radical religious fanatic. But if truth is both the means and the end, then that means that all we really have to do is tell the truth, spread the truth, share the truth, expose the truth. Never lie, never hold back the truth because you're worried about your job or your relationships or embarrassing yourself on social media or what people may think. Because not only has lying brought us to this point, but the refusal to tell the truth has brought us to this point. And of all places, we know here that it's risky telling the truth. We've gotten a lot of heat over the years. Most of it happened before my time, so I'm not trying to associate myself with it unjustly. But when you come out and you tell the truth and you get an audience and you get that voice and that following, they come after you. They put you in prison like they did Owen. They bankrupt you like they did Alex. And you have to be willing to lose everything if you want to gain anything as far as our country is concerned. After all, if you say nothing and do nothing and let the lies win, then the ramifications of that, the outcome of that is so much more dangerous and terrifying than the outcomes of speaking too much truth now and risking the harms of that. So in this last minute before we cut to break, I want to encourage you to go to infowars.com forward slash show. Share all of our posts. Share Alex's post. Find clips of the shows that you'd like. Make them viral. Cut them vertically. Watch YouTube videos on how to make viral content. Take our content. Turn it into viral content. Spread the truth. Perpetuate the great awakening. And go to infowarsstore.com to be the reason that we're still on the air. I know we only sell a handful of products. And I know... That supplements aren't for everybody, but they work. And supplements weren't for me until I started working here and they're laying around. So I started taking them and I noticed a difference. Please go to InfoWarsStore.com today and be the reason that we're still on the air. And I'll have you note that Alex Jones does now have the tip jar open on his X profile. So if you go to at real Alex Jones on X, you throw money in the Alex Jones was right tip jar at the top. Tap the top and give a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars. So, anything you can do to support victory in the info war. More news on the other side, folks. The United States has a population of north of 327 million people. Why do we need 
more kids? I mean, your party, Senator Tuberville, is the one screaming that 10 million immigrants, which I don't even know that that number even makes any sense because it doesn't, um, have streamed into the country since Joe Biden has been president. And you're claiming that that's too many people, that if more people come into the southern border, this is some sort of crisis because we, we've got too many people and we've got no more space and we can't afford more people. But now you're saying we need more kids. Can you explain who's the we and what's the purpose? You're also a senator from the state of Alabama. God help the people there. Are you saying the state of Alabama needs more kids? Why does the state of Alabama need more kids? More kids for what? There was a time when the state of Alabama absolutely needed more kids because, you know, Alabama was a slave state. And the mandate of the planter class in Alabama was for black women to produce more kids because those kids were property and they could work more kids and make more money on their plantations. Are you saying the state of Alabama needs more kids because you think that those populations will include people who are maybe destitute and desperate enough if you kick out the immigrants like a lot of y'all want to do and you could make them do the work that the migrants are doing now? Because that kind of sounds slavery-ish. Is the state of Alabama the we? And is, is, is that the why? I mean, you're also a white guy. Are you saying the we is white folks need more kids? Is this like a great replacement thing where you're concerned that there's not enough white people in the population versus the growth of the Latino population, the black population, the Asian American population? And so the we is white people need to make white women have more kids and that's the we and that's the why because it's a little creepy. A little handmaid's tale, don't you think? Let's read between the lies there. You know, I, I would never want the burden or responsibility. Frankly, I wouldn't be good at it of running a place like InfoWars, of owning a place like InfoWars, of being the big guy. But when I see clips like that, I do envy Alex Jones for being the host who can say whatever he wants on air, regardless of the fact that we're on radio. <laughs> because when I see that, every single explicit term, every hateful thing I could think of comes to mind because it's such a lie, everything she says. And I don't know if, I don't know if this is, something she actually believes and is saying, or if she's willfully lying and being deceitful. So her main point right in the beginning is, you guys say that you're worried about depopulation. You hate it when climate change advocates suggest that we should have smaller populations and our cities are too crowded and it's bad for the environment. So why is it that you're so mad that these migrants are coming into the country if you think we need more people. That's her point. First of all, regardless of whether these people live in the United States or any other country, has nothing to do with global population. So, yes. We believe that the world should have a growing and prosperous and abundant and thriving 
population. Not that we should let everyone in the United States of America who has any sort of our culture in their mind or their hearts or their souls die out childless in a healthcare facility only to be replaced by people with no loyalty or patriotism to this country. That That's your solution to our depopulation problem? Let's just bring everyone into the United States. And I've said this before on air. Not a lot of people are saying this, but this to me is proof that the whole reason that they've opened up the border is because they are trying to replace the fact that our population is dying with a generation of laborers, a workforce of migrants. They know that when all the baby boomers retire, when all the baby boomers die, there's going to be a massive opening in labor, particularly hard labor, especially in the advent of the AI era. The only thing left for people to do to a certain extent is going to be landscaping and construction and farming, manual labor, working with your hands. And as this American class dies off, childless and lonely and bitter and poor and desperate and sick, they want to make sure that there's enough labor to keep the machine running so that this political class can perpetuate globalism and dominate the people of the world. And while she criticizes me for my whiteness, while she criticizes whiteness in such a grotesque show of explicit racism, real racism, the actual meaning of the term racism, when you believe one race is inherently superior or inferior to another, not when you just have some bad stereotype about whether white girls can dance, I'm talking about real racism. It just makes me sick to my stomach. This is pre-1964 rhetoric just inverted. And they justify this moral lapse by saying, oh, we did it for hundreds of years. So they're justified in being racist against us now in response. It's moral reparations where you just have to bite your lip and Take the beating as payment for the sins of people that existed that weren't even related to you that happened to have similar ethnicity. You got to keep in mind, they don't hate you because they believe that your great, 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 great grandfathers were slave owners. They hate you because you're the same race as most of the slave owners, despite the fact that free black men in this country during slavery were statistically more likely to own slaves than white men in this country. So if you were free and a black man in 1860, you were more likely to have a slave statistically per capita than a white man in this country. Nobody talks about that. Nobody knows that statistic. It is 100% true. I learned about it in a sociology class in college from a Marxist. And if that lady is going to tell me this, and if we're going to read about it in the book that she put on my desk when I was 22 years old, then I know it's true because she would have every incentive to keep that information from me. That information is something that most people don't know. 
And we could argue all day and all night about who started slavery, how long slavery's been around, what races enslaved who most, but it's irrelevant. When push comes to shove, our race is nothing to be either proud of or ashamed of because it's an immutable characteristic. It has nothing to do with your character. You had no choice. You didn't accomplish your race. Your race is a characteristic about you given to you at birth. It's not indicative of the content of your character. It's not indicative of your soul, of your goodness, or of your evilness, of your intelligence. It doesn't mean anything. And so when they come at you and they say their racism towards you is justified because of your ethnicity's racism towards them in a completely different generation, in a completely different time, it's just bull. It is the use of race for political and financial purposes, which is exactly what advocates for slavery were doing. They were using race as an excuse to keep people enslaved, just as this generation of racists is using race as an excuse to keep all of us enslaved. More on the other side. White House Press Secretary claims Biden doesn't need cognitive assessment, says he passes the cognitive test every day. Bumbling 81-year-old puppet, President of the United States Joe Biden doesn't need to take a cognitive test because he performs his job daily, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre unashamedly argued. She is shameless. Asked during a briefing Wednesday why Biden's annual physical examination wouldn't include a cognitive function screening, Jean-Pierre denied such a test was necessary and told reporters concerns over his mental decline were overblown. Quote, I think folks need to understand that the president passes again a cognitive test every day. She doesn't even have the words in the right order. I don't even think she could pass a cognitive test. There's really a stark difference between Corrine Jean Pierre and Jen Psaki. And it's not just the fact that her name sounds like a Justin Trudeau wet dream. Jen Psaki... As frustrating as it was to listen to her because of the administration that she worked for and the president that she was under was remarkable at her job. I'm not saying she's a good person. I'm not saying she's an honest person. I'm not saying that she was ever right. I'm simply saying she was very good at being the press secretary for a president of the United States that has no idea who he is, where he is, or what he does. I mean, imagine how difficult the job would be to cover up for someone like Joe Biden. Imagine if your boss was Joe Biden and it was being uncovered that he and his son were involved in tax evasion and money laundering schemes, all while he was losing his mind. And on top of that, it was coming out that he was having inappropriate showers with his underage daughter. Or it was coming out that he was engaged in treasonous business activity and quid pro quo with foreign nationals for years. Or if it was coming out that he had classified documents he wasn't supposed to have. Imagine if your job was to speak to the press about that and cover for that. Jen Psaki did a great job. She went up there. She spoke in complete sentences. 
She actually responded to the questions, though her points were invalid because the truth wasn't on her side. She was good at it. She made it seem like at least someone around had an IQ in the triple digits. But Corrine Jean-Pierre has added stupidity to injury. At least when Jen Psaki was lying to me, she was good at it and she was smart and competent at it. She was a formidable foe. Then Corrine Jean-Pierre comes up and just blows the whole thing out of the water. First of all, she looks like broccoli or cauliflower or something. I, I don't know what's going on. And she's got this smug look of defiance on her face as she brazenly lies, denies, and commits any number of fallacies. Minimum half a dozen every press conference, sometimes up to dozens. Cabbage patch lib. And with a smug attitude about it. There is no way in hell she doesn't know that Joe Biden has lost his mind and years ago lost his mind. And I have no problem with a black lesbian woman being the press secretary of the United States, the White House press secretary. No problem whatsoever. As long as they don't have that job because... They're a black lesbian woman. And it's very obvious to me that this is a perfect example of the symptoms, implications, and outcomes of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have a great guest coming on later who tweeted this morning something hilarious. Apparently, they changed DEI to Jedi. Did you guys see this? Here's a look at our most recent X post. Maybe we can pull it up on the screen. I think they added justice to the beginning. And not only does it make DEI even worse, but it proves that Star Wars is no longer on our side. It's no longer a story of the hero's journey that's supposed to inspire individuals to reach self-actualization and accomplish divine justice over empirical tyranny on a galactic scale regardless of their immutable characteristics doesn't matter if you're literally Darth Vader's son you can still be the protagonist in that story because it knows the inherent truth of the human condition but it morphed from that into this DEI politically exploited content where Disney buys the rights They put together an amazing level of production quality to shove the poison of wokeness and critical theory and Marxism and DEI down your throat. Oh, you found a lightsaber and now you can beat a trained Sith? Even though you've only known about the force for five minutes? Oh, that's because you're a woman. I get it. Oh, okay, okay. So technically, you're Darth Sidious's daughter. Technically, you're a Palpatine, but you can just identify as a Skywalker. So you're the last Skywalker. It's not Luke, because he died in the movie before this one. So, so technically, the last Skywalker is you because you identify as a Skywalker. 
So your immutable characteristics and genetics mean nothing at all. So you're the best Jedi of all time. You identify as a Skywalker, even though you're Palpatine, and you learned how to use the Force in a dozen days. Oh, Makes for a great movie, right? And, and you're adopted by no one. <laughs> also, like, they go to a planet where they're drinking weird alien milk. Ooh. Yeah. I know exactly the scene you're talking about. That was too much. We can't do that to Luke Skywalker. Well, you know why they did that, right? You know why they put that scene in there. Like putting a black man in a dress. They had to shame him. Oh, man, they did it because they wanted to psychologically prepare the population for this breaking story that HIV plus tranny breastfeeds baby chemically induced chest secretions with help of medical clinic. <laughs> That's, uh, that was my second guess. Yeah, yeah. Luke Skywalker was drinking the AIDS milk in Star Wars because they're trying to prepare us for it. Jones <laughs> covering this yesterday. I said in my office, I couldn't believe it. It's just... But what are we going to do? Star Wars is ruined. Dune is king. Star Wars died. Dune is king. Speaking Can we also of, go back? When, yeah, you, you were talking about immutable characteristics. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest quarrels that people had with the episode one with Anakin Skywalker was yeah. doing the blood test for the Metachlorians. Right. He's right? genetically superior. Right. That's where they lost the plot. Yeah. Well, they just hate the idea that somebody could be immaculately conceived with divine powers because it was an inherently Christian notion. Right? There was no father. That was the famous line that she says to Qui-Gon Jinn. He's immaculately conceived by the force, which is the power of God. It's basically the Holy Spirit in Star Wars. And he's got these divine powers, and he's either going to use them for good or evil. Ultimately, he's a conflicted person, of course, we know from the story. And they just hate it that Force sensitivity is genetic. I just want you to... to space Jesus? Space, space Jesus. Only he made the wrong call. He pivoted at a crucial moment in the wrong direction. But we're about ready to cut to break before we get into more news in the next hour. I want to encourage everybody to go to InfoWarsStore.com and check out Bodies, Whole Body Support. This product is absolutely amazing. We've had several callers call in and say how impressed they are with the effects of this product. I know that inflammation is typically a symptom that we experience as we get older, particularly in our joints. But this is something that I actually have experience with because I do have hemophilia, which is a bleeding disorder, and my joints get inflamed sort of prematurely. And this product has helped me deal with some of those symptoms. It is absolutely amazing, extremely healthy, beneficial, and the real deal with 95% curcuminoid extraction. This is the active ingredient in turmeric. It is more potent than any other product in the market that I'm aware of. I highly recommend that you go to InfoWarsStore.com and check out Bodies now at 40% off. It's your all-in-one solution for flexibility, mobility and immune support so that your body can feel invincible in the age of the info war stay with us folks more on the other side uh, saying in part, black Americans are waking up to the reality that the Democratic Party has taken advantage of them and the media and the party are terrified. Our community supports the policies of President Donald J. Trump and knows full well that life was better four years ago under his administration. No amount of media deception or liberal race baiting will sway the minds of black voters who will cast their ballots this November for safer streets, a better financial well-being, a secure border and a complete rejection of Joe Biden's disastrous tenure. So you all were all there. Uh, a quick show of hands. Do you believe his comments were in any way racist? Nobody. 
Okay. Adul, uh, what were your thoughts that night when you heard these comments during the event? It's about time that somebody started telling the truth. I mean, he's only speaking to what some black folks have experienced for a very long time, which is a disastrous justice systems in many cases. And ultimately, we can all see this playing out right in front of our very eyes. I didn't I wasn't offended or didn't feel like anything he said was racist in any way. Uh, former President Trump also made a statement about his mugshot taken as part of his Georgia case. Let's take a listen to that. And. You know who embraced it more than anybody else? The black population. It's incredible. You see black picture. people walking around with my mugshot. You know, they do shirts and they sell them for $19 a piece. Kevin, Tia, I want to bring you in here. Do you feel that that comment was in any way off color? Not at all. I mean, you know, the reality is, is that, uh, you know, we see a president that has been prosecuted and persecuted. And a lot of people in the community, especially in the black community, who have felt that there's multi-tiers of justice are seeing that played out in front of their very eyes. And they're saying, yeah, I can relate to this guy. This guy is going through some things that either myself or my family have gone through. And this is a very relatable moment for a lot of people. So seeing this mugshot as a, you know, as a, you know, a big, you know, to the, to the media and to the, uh, political uh, pundits is it's a big deal and it, it really does resonate within uh, within the community. Tia, want to get your your comments there. Well, no, no, I agree, especially coming from an education perspective. You know, he didn't say if you're not black, you're not black if you don't vote for me. You know, he was just stating the truth. And that's what sometimes we need to hear for too long in politics. We've been lied to and we need to hear the truth and have someone that we can relate to. Me personally, I don't think that's necessarily um, relating to blackness, but I do think that a lot of black people have gone through um, the criminal justice system and it has been unfair to them. And I think that's what he was saying. Uh, Adul, you've said that, that you focus more on Trump's policies than what he actually says. But as uh, we saw when he was president, his words do have tremendous power, even fluctuating the stock market just minutes after he'd speak. Do you think that his words shouldn't matter? His words absolutely do matter, and I'm less concerned with something said in jest, and I'm more concerned with the fact that we had a president who actually took on criminal justice reform with the First Step Act. And unlike the Biden administration and the Democrats, he set forth a platinum plan for black economic empowerment, something we've seen nothing of the sort from the Democrats. Kevin, your thoughts as far as do you feel that there have been some policies in the past well, while he was uh, president for four years, uh, that black people benefited from. Absolutely. And uh, the number one policy and the, the one policy I wish the mainstream media would cover, because it would give you a lot more credibility amongst your average folks, would be the policy that uh, Joe Biden in his 1994 crime bill, uh, when he says, look, we're, we're going to get rid of these racial jungles. We're going to, you know, basically target black and brown communities for a little $5 piece of crack going to send him to, to prison for 15 to, to, to life. You no, know, he's absolutely right, but we're not going to beat Joe Biden by complaining about what he's done over the last 40 years. We're going to have to beat him by complaining about what he's done over the last four years because the last 40 years existed when he got into office the last time. So obviously that isn't sufficient enough to overcome the level of tyranny and treachery and treason and just base evil that he is. And I agree with everything those folks are saying. 
I just think that it's unfortunate that on the right, we see identity politics playing the same way that it plays on the left, just in the other direction. There's only individual rights, folks. This video <laughs> compilation is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> Let it roll. Let it roll. And remember, you can always watch this at band.video. If it gets to the point where you're fighting them in the Capitol building, it's because you lost. Scarface, I think, is one of the best movies of all time. It's one of my favorite movies. I had fond memories watching it with close friends in college, drinking red stripe beer. And there's so many things about it that come to think of it just watching that clip relate to what we're experiencing today. You've got this immigrant coming across the border, of course, in the case of Scarface, to escape communism. And in the case of today, to instill communism in its neo-fascist form. But it's the American dream. It's a rags-to-riches story. Hero with a Thousand Faces is a famous book by Joseph Campbell, which outlines, I believe it's by Joseph Campbell. He wrote the seven plots, too. Basically, there's seven plots in every story. Hero's Journey is one of them. Rags-to-riches is another type of plot. Similar to The Wolf of Wall Street or Blow, it's this rags-to-riches story where you start with nothing, you get to the top, and then because of your hubris, you collapse. And there's something so inspiring about a broken person or a conflicted, complicated person who has their own ideals and because of the audacity to live according to their own ideals, they overcome all odds. And of course it doesn't end well for many and stories in real life whose flaws outperform their virtues. But there's a key moment in the movie Scarface where he's driving with his Best friend, whose name escapes me. His friend says, what do you want, man? He says, the world, Chico, and everything in it. And on the one hand, it's inspiring because there's this individual who comes over from communism with absolutely nothing and actually conquers the world. Business, women, drugs, everything you could imagine, just fun and money the whole time. And on the other hand, it's indicative of something inherently evil in all of us. The fact that absolute power does corrupt. Absolutely. And I think everything in the character in Scarface, aside from the competence, is embodied by our current political leaders. They want the world and everything in it. That's what globalism is. It's not some utopian, new, 
global government of one world, one people, one species, mankind coming together despite borders or race or religion or ideals. It's not some pretty picture of harmony, this globalism. What it is, is global conquest. The aim of the most notable historical figures throughout history. Historical figures, mind you, who committed atrocities. From Alexander the Great to Constantine to Hitler to Napoleon. Many, if not all of them, very evil people. But impressive. And this audacity... is only manifest in some, but is a necessary condition for the rise to power. So everybody we see at the top of these organizations, whether it's the WEF, whether it's the CIA, whether it's the FBI, whether it's Senate or the House or the White House, everyone we see at the top of these organizations and governments has the audacity of the character in Scarface, the world, Chico, and everything in it. And there's a certain minimum level of self-righteousness necessary to have that type of audacity that isn't conducive to empathy or compassion in most cases. But every once in a while, there's an exception to the rule. Every once in a while, there's a hero with the audacity to pursue power for the sake of righting a wrong or establishing justice, if not for their own ego, for their own conscience. They do it not because they want the power. They do it because they want a clear conscience when they die, knowing that they did everything they could to right the wrongs in the world. I'm not one of these people. I'm an ambitious man, but I'm not one who cares so much about the world that I would pursue as much political power as possible in order to establish what I think would be right. That scene from Attack of the Clones with Anakin and Padme, well, then they should be made to. They're discussing democracy versus dictatorship. I'm just somebody who wasn't satisfied with a vote and wanted a voice because I want freedom for myself and my family. That's what motivates me. And when it comes to Trump, it's a difficult thing to analyze, to know for sure. He's not like most people of such levels of iconicism or notoriety. He's not someone that's very easy to know or understand. But when I look at what he's gone through, what he's experienced over the last eight years now, there was no selfish incentive for him to ever run for the president of the United States unless you just reduce it to ego. But that's not a satisfying explanation because if it was ego, he could have just claimed, oh, I could be president if I want to, but I don't want to do that. I just want to be in business. Just like Will Smith said a number of years ago. Do you guys remember that? Will Smith said, if I ran for president, I'd win. That is the ego 
convincing you to do something or not do something that you don't want to do. And so I don't think that he ran because he thinks he's so great or because of his ego or because of these selfish motives. It wasn't the world Chico and everything in it that put him in office. I think he ran because he realized that nobody else could do or would do what needed to be done. Same thing with Musk and purchasing Twitter to turn it into X. He had every he has every incentive to just go home, crack open a beer, put his feet up, say that was great. You don't buy X just because of your ego. You you have to have more incentive. And I think a lot of it was the desire to right a wrong and the knowledge that you're the only one who can do it. This is what makes a hero. These are the ingredients of a hero in any culture, in any time, in any place or situation. First, it's the genuine desire to right a wrong for the sake of your own conscience. It's still selfish. The realization that you're the only one who can do it and the audacity to give it the old college try. Those three things are all it takes to be a hero. And I'm not trying to brown nose to Alex, but in a lot of ways I do consider him an American hero. Obviously not a perfect guy, but an American icon, an American hero, because this is somebody who saw a wrong in the world that was this push for globalism, this deep state agenda, and all the Machiavellian approaches that it takes to conglomerate power. This is someone who, for the sake of their own conscience, with no clear reason to believe that it would be financially lucrative in the beginning, no clear reason to go on public access TV or radio for three hours a day before this empire was built, for lack of a better term. Someone who saw a problem in the world and for the sake of their own conscience wanted to do everything they could about it, realized they were among the only people who could do anything about it and then had the audacity to do it. That's, that's heroism. I briefly mentioned Dune earlier, and it relates directly to this principle. Said Star Wars is dead. Dune is king. That's one of the most empowering things about this this new series that's come out. Of course, it's based on the the book from many decades ago, famous science fiction book. People think it's a science fiction action film. It's not. It's a story about self-actualization and finding the hero within yourself. You've got this character who starts out as basically a boy going into young adulthood, has no idea that his destiny is to liberate an entire people and establish justice. And slowly his character builds He realizes he has the power to right the wrong and he accepts the destiny. My path leads into the desert. 
And this should speak to all of us right now at this critical, crucial moment in American history. Because that's all you really have to do. You don't have to be a superhero. We can't all be superheroes, but we can all be heroes. You have to realize what is wrong in the world. For the sake of your conscience, you have to desire to fix it, and you have to find the way in which you uniquely are capable of fixing it. And that will make you an American hero if you do those things, large or small. And despite the fact that MI6 doesn't want us reading C.S. Lewis or Tolkien or George Orwell because it shines a light on their own modes of operation, their own methods of madness, it's undeniable that a great truce was told in Lord of the Rings series. And you have Aragorn rising to the occasion and realizing that he should be the king of Gondor because he's the rightful heir. And you have Gandalf from Gandalf the Great to Gandalf the White. And you have these other heroic figures. You have Theoden coming out of the abyss of Saruman's brainwashed Stockholm Syndrome and rallying the Rohirrim to save mankind from the evils of Mordor. You have these major players, kings, wizards, princes, immortals, lobbying for power in Middle-earth. But the whole point of the story is that all of these heroes, these major players, these superheroes that we adore and aspire to and see them in epic combat, whether it's in real life, in sports, or in movies and literature, mean nothing if the most insignificant among us doesn't make the long walk to Mount Doom and throw the ring in the fire. None of those other heroes would have mattered at all if it wasn't for the smallest among us. Literally, in the Lord of the Rings, small people, halflings, little people. Insignificant, not ambitious, not adventurous, just good people that want to have good lives, raise families, drink beer, smoke pipes. All of it's meaningless unless one of those guys has the audacity to drop the ring into the fire to sacrifice the evil ambitions within us for righteousness. And so you don't have to be a Donald Trump or an Alex Jones or a Rush Limbaugh or any number of these iconic political voices, political figures to be a hero and none of these figures, these voices, these names mean anything without the audience, the listeners, the followers. So what I've been thinking about as I enter into this chapter of adulthood, now that I'm in my thirties is what that means for me. And maybe that's the human condition is to to never really know for sure and just seek that, that truth. But you have to find your way and you have to have the audacity to walk that path once you know what it is. All right, let's move on. Visa applies for biometric authentication patent. 
Visa, one of the world's two biggest payments processors, appears to be moving into biometric database authentication, at least according to a patent it has applied for. And Visa claims that this would be fully privacy friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the Patriot Act didn't violate the privacy of any Americans. Visa is in this way joining MasterCard, but also Microsoft and Google, our favorites, who are all exploring ultimately similar methods for the sake of what they say is preventing physical data theft and abuse of deepfakes. Trust me, folks. They're going to be able to deepfake your, your biometric data, no problem. Hasn't anybody ever seen Gattaca? So this is just an excuse for more control, more power. Google's Apple's and Samsung's payment services already provide the so-called seamless payment experience, while Amazon apps just walk out, replaces checkout with what's said to be a similar experience to what Visa plans to achieve. So they establish these new technologies in the name of convenience and security and safety and efficiency and just better business. And nobody ever thinks about the unintended consequences that nobody ever realizes that killing cats leads to rats and whatever visa wants to establish biometric data tracking fine nobody should ever do business with them people should work with a competitor the problem is the financial system is so conglomerated that all the competitors are virtually in bed together there's nowhere else to go here come the Bitcoin advocates. Bitcoin fixes that. Bitcoin solves that. Yeah, well, how are you going to trade Bitcoin when there's no electricity or internet in the world? I'm pretty sure that I'd rather have a box of ammo or a can of soup than a Bitcoin in the apocalypse. And what we're seeing here is an establishment, whether it's the financial elite or the political elite, the global elite, the world supervillains realizing that the world is about ready to experience a massive change, a catastrophe, a climax of crisis. And they're setting the stage to ensure that their pieces are in the right place on the board once that happens for them to control everything. That's why you see them for apparently the first time, at least the first time that I'm aware of in history, you see them establishing rules and policies for hypothetical scenarios. Typically, laws are put into effect to correct something that's wrong now or, ta- or establish a system that should exist now. Hey, we should make the speed limit this and we should make this different about higher education. We should do this now and this now. And this now. It's usually responsive. Legislation is supposed to be responsive. They have a constitution. Everything else is up to the legislature as it comes across their desk, right? That was how this, com- this conversation, this country was started. But now we see them coming out and establishing biometric authentication for no reason. Credit cards have worked fine for decades. No reason. They're all FDIC insured anyway. So if there's fraud at these banks or identity theft, it can get corrected. It's not that big of an issue. And then on the other hand, they're coming out with policies for how they're going to respond to disease X, a disease which they say doesn't even exist yet. They realize the catastrophe is coming. They're framing global policy around these hypotheticals 
so that when this climax comes suddenly all at once, it triggers an automated operation to conglomerate all power and control the response. Because history has shown that when a crisis happens, the public response is unpredictable, and that catalyzes major shifts in power structures, major changes in governments, totally new leadership. And that disruption is untenable for the globalists, which seek to conglomerate and sustain power indefinitely. On top of the fact that they're trying to be immortal so they can literally have power indefinitely. So knowing this, seemingly the only lesson that the globalists have learned from history, they had decided to write the constitutions of this new world government, to write the policies and documents and agendas and roles of this new world government. Now, so once this collapse and crisis happens on a global scale, whether it's economic or nuclear or whatever, Immediately, the response is contained and controlled and directed to their benefit at the expense of the liberty of all sovereign individuals the world over. That's why they're constantly making up these crises. The climate hoax, biometric issues, radical extremism domestically, terrorism. All of the major problems and crises that we spend 90% of our time talking about, not we on InfoWars, but we as in civilization, are basically hypothetical, not certain to be even true problems. As a rule of thumb, if it's not obvious whether or not there's a problem, there's a chance that the problem doesn't exist. If it isn't broken, don't fix it. But they're trying to fix it because they know it's about to break. Stick with us, folks. We're going to get more into it on the other side. We have a break coming up in about 30 seconds. Make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com. It'd be the reason that we're still on the air. I highly recommend TurboForce Plus and BrainForce Plus. Two of my favorites. Bodies is 40% off. And I believe we got DNA Force Plus coming back in stock if it's not still in stock now as well. But get yours now while supplies last we are selling these products very quickly we'd like to sell them even more quickly and we're getting more inventory in stock as well so keep us on the air for this crucial time in america at infowarsstore.com and stick with us for more on the other side not sure what's going on with the schedule tomorrow but it's possible that harrison owen and i will be doing a round table during the war room at 5 p.m it's not guaranteed yet but We'll see for sure soon. I'm going to get into this raw story story in a moment, probably the next segment. So I'm going to put this off to the side. So much craziness going on with, with AI and lawsuits and fake news. But remember the space nukes story that came out last week? It's funny because all the rage last week was this imminent national security threat, the intelligence community insisting that Congress declassify this imperative national security information, and then it was subsequently immediately leaked to the press that this national security threat had something to do with Russian space nukes. Do you remember that? Gosh, it seems like so long ago, but it was just last week. And it seemed like they were going to use... This space nuke threat 
as an excuse to get NATO explicitly involved in a hot war with Russia over Ukraine before Ukraine's defeat is complete and total, which is imminent. Because if Russia does indeed have nuclear weapons in space, technically that's a violation of the 1967 Outer Space Treaty, I believe is what it was called. I believe that was the year. And a violation of such a treaty would constitute NATO action in a more explicit manner than subtly funding, subtly, than just funding and weaponizing Ukraine in this war. So that was all the rage. It was going to come out. Congress has asked to declassify it. Then it literally disappeared in 24 hours. And within a day of that, we have this massive outage specifically of AT&T cellular service in the middle of the night. The press comes out. They drop the space nuke story. They drop the imminent national security threat story. They drop the association of it with Russia. And they repeatedly, incessantly push, promote, and claim that this cellular outage was caused by a solar storm. I'm looking at this, I'm thinking to myself, why is it that a solar storm would only impact AT&T cellular service and not Verizon or T-Mobile or any of these other cellular providers? Seems to me very likely that what we experienced last week with that cellular outage was a cyber attack. And obviously, it was short-lived. The problem was solved immediately. It wasn't some catastrophe on a massive humanitarian scale. But I believe that it was a counter to the threat that we made against Russia last week. We threatened Russia that we would release this information publicly so that we could use it to leverage NATO into war with Russia. So by threatening that we would declassify this information to have a public conversation with our international partners, as the left likes to say, that could catalyze a war between Russia and the war world, a hot war, soldiers from all over the world on the ground in Ukraine and Russia, their response was, we're going to show you that we can take down all of your communications on demand. So you better not release this classified information because I'll tell you, it could be a hell of a lot worse than this. That's what I think happened last week. And that's why you saw these allegations, these accusations totally disappear. Yeah, they come out. AT&T says the outage to its U.S. cell phone network was not caused by a cyber attack. This is the AP, the Associated Press, associated with the communist movement. The fact that they have to say repeatedly it wasn't a cyber attack is just ridiculous. But if it was a solar flare or a solar storm, and I looked at the charts. I was looking up obscure scientific research lab websites to find heat maps of solar activity in the last 48 hours. You look at the solar activity, it was elevated kind of. But really only in coastal regions, certainly not nationwide, certainly not enough to impact the entire cellular network for several hours in the early morning. And if it was a solar flare, then why is it that it exclusively impacted one carrier and none of the others? That's like, 
that's like bombing Nagasaki in several neighborhoods within Nagasaki just not being impacted by the explosion. <laughs> like, what? So, okay. Now we have evidence to believe that it was a cyber attack and they're lying to us about it. And then we have context around that evidence that there were these threats of releasing classified information that would implicate Russia in an international crime that would justify international action. All while this World War III has been ramping up over Ukraine and Israel and trade and IMEC corridors and Belt and Road initiatives and global reserve currencies. It's all just formulating into this one bottleneck of conflict and violence and death and crisis. And suddenly everybody just shuts up about the space nukes things. Because to me, it seems like the space nuke story is a bigger deal than cell phone service was out for three hours. After all, my cell phone service is out all the time in spotty areas. People are accustomed to cellular outage, especially in the middle of the night. Nobody really paid attention. But just bizarre. Now, Interesting. I see this article up here from Engadget. T-Mobile outage finally ends after more than 12 hours. That was from January of 2020. June of 2020. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't wrong saying that T-Mobile wasn't out too. But a lot of these carriers share the same cellular towers too, which is another thing that's interesting because the cellular data, I believe, goes through these data centers and it's processed in, in a centralized way to basically like a giant automated switchboard, make sure that calls get connected. And I believe the cyber attack occurred on the data centers themselves and specifically AT&T data centers because there was some sort of security vulnerability in place there that wasn't in place for Verizon or T-Mobile or AT&T just seemed like a bigger fish for them to attack. But they, it seems like Russia specifically picked one carrier to attack just as a teaser, like, hey, you don't want to escalate this. Now we see these reports this week in response to more Russian so-called provocations. Leaked files reveal Russian military's criteria for a nuclear strike. So they're teasing nuclear strikes again. And they're describing Putin as unhinged in these speeches where he's basically saying that Russia's going to nuke the West if NATO strikes Russia. So this is obviously from the sun. I knew it wasn't an InfoWars article as soon as I read the headline because of the inherent bias in it. Putin threatens to nuke the West after accusing NATO of planning to strike Russia in a rambling speech. Deranged, despot Vladimir Putin So Joe Biden doesn't have dementia, but Vladimir Putin, who spoke entirely coherently on very complicated issues for two hours with Tucker Carlson just weeks ago, is a deranged despot. Now, I don't deny that he's probably a despot, but deranged, just because you're evil doesn't mean that you're insane. Deranged despot Vladimir Putin has warned the West is in danger of being nuked as he ranted for more than two hours. So this is a claim of what he said. Let's see what he actually said. I'm literally just scanning this article to try to find a quote. And they're quoting incomplete sentences. 
It's, it's insane. We're going to get more into this, this incomplete sentence quoting next when we cover Ross Story, their lawsuit with OpenAI, and their recent community note regarding a false claim about Alex Jones and Elon Musk. Stick with us. We're going to show a clip in a minute from the Alex Jones show yesterday talking about the Raw Story headline that mischaracterized his statements, misquoted Alex, basically saying that he called Elon Musk a complete and total fraud, which he didn't. He used those terms when he was describing Google. And that headline was community noted. Over 20,000 people liked Alex Jones' reply, setting the record straight. I'll show you that clip. But the reason I want to show you that clip is because of this story that came across the desk this morning. The Intercept and Raw story, progressive news stalwarts, sue OpenAI. Now, keep in mind, in 2016... Raw Story was the ninth most shared news outlet among Hillary Clinton voters on social media. It's basically a left-wing propaganda machine. They're suing OpenAI. Three prominent progressive outlets sued OpenAI on Wednesday, of course yesterday, alleging the company violated their copyright protections in an extension of the battle lines drawn between news publishers and AI companies. Two lawsuits, a joint suit by Raw Story and Alternet, and another by The Intercept, were filed in federal court in Manhattan. The two companies allege OpenAI's ChatGPT violated the Digital Copyright Millennium Act when it trained ChatGPT not to acknowledge or respect copyright, not to notify ChatGPT users when the responses they received were protected by journalists' copyrights, and not to provide attribution when using the works of human journalists. So I know that's vague, but let me set the record straight on this as I understand it. There were many tools before the advent of this AI technology that could take an existing article and rephrase it. These tools often committed explicit acts of plagiarism by inefficiently or incorrectly taking whole sentences, whole phrases, and just copying and pasting them into the content that they would generate. This would be an example of plagiarism. But as it seems to me, this lawsuit is not an allegation that ChatGPT responses are quotes from journalists at Raw Story, quotes from Raw Story articles, actual writing taken and duplicated. They are suing them for copyright infringement simply for scanning their publicly available articles and using it to inform the algorithm of how English sentences are put together. It is such a stretch that it's unbelievable, and it's obvious to me that the purpose of this is not because they believe that their intellectual property First of all, you have to have intellectual capacity to have intellectual property. It's not a belief that their intellectual property has been violated or rights have been violated. It is a realization that OpenAI is replacing these midwit journalists altogether. That it's writing better, more accurate articles instantly on any issue at any time. And it is putting these journalists out of business who have for so long lied incessantly, written at a 7th or 8th grade reading level, crappy articles about crappy people doing crappy things, making crappy claims for a crappy audience. 
And instead of upping their game and outperforming or innovating, they just want to sue and tear down, which is the embodiment and mindset and manifestation of leftism itself. It cannot create. It can only destroy. It can only compromise. It can only leech as some sort of parasite on the minds of people, on the hearts of people, on the culture of a people, on nations. That's why communism has to expand incessantly or it collapses, like every communist nation has collapsed, that ceased expanding. It's the same idea with Marxism as it is applied to human psychology. When it's embodied in an individual, it manifests very similar to when it's embodied in a nation. It is this lawfare of destroying that which outperforms instead of rising to the occasion and having the audacity to do what needs to be done in order to prosper and succeed. They are trying so hard as so-called progressives to keep things exactly as they have been, aren't they? Let's run this clip. This is a great example of the Soros-funded media, and it's, it's on record that Raw Story and BuzzFeed and those other groups, Vice, you name it, are funded by Soros. And they're propped up to put out fake news and incredible deception. So this story came out yesterday and was trending on Twitter. Alex Jones calls Elon Musk a complete and total fraud, turns on Elon Musk after he's massively censored. Now, I never called him a complete and total fraud. I said, Google is a complete and total fraud. And I said, we see some URLs from InfoWars, like Band.Video, now being banned. And we're seeing some uh, throttling going on. And I said, Elon said it's a crime scene he took over, and it's full of embeds and operatives. He already had over two-thirds of them basically leave or fired. And so I said, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. That is not saying Elon Musk is a complete and total fraud. And so Elon responded last night in a tweet, a post on X, and, and, and said, what is it that Alex Jones is complaining about? And I had just uh, gotten home from a church meeting I went to, went to a little special Tuesday night church service with my uh, oldest daughter, and I was getting calls on the way home. Hey, Elon Musk is Xing, not on ecstasy, but on the site, posting on X and asking what 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 the problem is. So I uh, don't want to text while I drive. So I pulled over into a gas station about nine o'clock, eight thirty last night, and went and read the raw story and called up Chase Geyser, who's a real go-getter. And said, hey, will you go grab that clip? Pause it for a second. <clears throat> will you post this? I just want to say, I promise I'm not running this clip because John said nice things about me. Go on. What I actually said. And then will you uh, respond? And I dictated real quick to him what I wanted him to say. And then within 10 minutes, the guy's like a speed racer. Uh, he already had it up. And then uh, Elon said, well, <laughs> there's your fake news. And then they put a community notes on the uh, raw story saying fake news, which is the strongest condemnation that they do. So they've got a humiliating amount of egg on their face, but nice, nice try guys. Here's the headline, complete and total fraud. Alex Jones turns on Elon Musk 
after he massively censored. And a bunch of people, when this is I'm not criticizing, it's just an example, went off half cocks and big so-called conservative accounts and populist accounts said, Jones bites the hand that feeds him and Jones is a piece of garbage and all this stuff. Looking like, again, complete fools, because if I, if I think Elon's really bad or doing something bad, I'm going to say it. But I didn't say that. And it's going off half-cocked, and I've done it before, I'm not perfect, that in the populist movement, we're not a centralized group, which is our strength, but also our weakness. People love infighting, and they love to lie about stuff, and they love to run with stuff that's not true. So we don't want to go along with uh, Alex Soros and he, as he vows to, quote, wipe Trump supporters from the face of the earth because he's heavily involved in all of this. We wrote an article about it at Infowars.com last night. Ben Warren worked late to get that done, did a great job. We wrote another one this morning, Kelly McBreen did. So there you go. Fake News That's 101, media falsely claims The Alex audacity of raw story. Now they're suing OpenAI. They're publishing fake headlines because all they can do is tear down. And that's why it's called InfoWars. This is an InfoWar. We've been in it for decades now. And it is coming to a peak because the world is exponentially more digitalized than it was when this war started. I mean, we are saturated with digitalism. We live on our phones, on our computers, on our streaming platforms, on our social media accounts. And we create content for them and we consume them in a vicious cycle of misinformation and truth, battling it out for the minds of the people. Which is why it's more important now than ever that you support the InfoWars, that you support InfoWars itself by going to InfoWarsStore.com. We always have amazing deals on the site, we've got great products in stock. Bodies is now 40% off. One of the best flagship products here at InfoWars. I highly recommend it. It will help with flexibility, mobility, inflammation to help you feel invincible in the InfoWar and keep us on the air while doing it. It's a 360 win, folks. Check it out at InfoWarsStore.com. Advancing education with AI by Google. These days, we can all see how AI is revolutionizing the way we live, work, and imagine our future. At Google, we've been preparing for this for quite some time. Nearly a decade ago, we began working to develop and harness the power of AI to help everyone gain an understanding of its potential. We also formulated our own set of principles for applying AI responsibly. Many of our products and services use AI to help people connect more easily with the information they seek and with each other. And we're helping to expedite breakthroughs in fields ranging from healthcare to communication, where AI has the potential to improve billions of lives. Today, AI has the power to transform education like never before. Taking what we've learned through years of building classroom technology and working alongside educators from around the world, we're developing AI in ways that will serve as an insightful tool, a thought partner that elevates educators as the heart and soul of the educational experience and supercharges productivity for educational leaders. With AI applied in the context of our educational tools, educators can choreograph learning experiences more effectively and efficiently 
Creating lessons and presentations can take minutes instead of hours. Dashboards can reveal real-time insights into each student's progress and even their process, all of which gives educators more time to invest in their students and in themselves. For students, AI can help make learning more personal with tools that offer real-time feedback to help supplement the educator's instruction. It can help improve reading proficiency. And if students struggle, educators can be alerted sooner of the need for personalized attention. AI can also help unlock creativity, freeing students to reimagine the limits of what's possible. And that's only where we are today. Imagine a future where lessons are adaptable to each student's unique learning style. Accessibility features enable a fully inclusive classroom. And AI continues to learn and develop ways to help both students and educators realize their fullest potential. This is the future of education. Diversity, equity, and artificial intelligence. D-E-A-I where brainwashing is automated. <laughs> if you guys got to put that clip in my, my user share folder on the server because I would love to render a version of that with Alex Jones narrating. Maybe we can change the words and make a promo out of it. That's, that's astounding to me. And the words they use are so menacing. Things like responsible and safe practices, monitoring progress, they're just making the brainwashing more efficient. And this tool can be used for great evil or it can be used for great good. And if we don't keep up and innovate faster than these big corporations and their lobbying networks regulate, then we're going to be in for a world of pain. But I'm hopeful because it seems like every time throughout history that evil advances, in time, it is vanquished. Unfortunately, sometimes the amount of time that it takes to overcome such evil can be centuries. So it's something that we don't experience in a single generation often. We have a great guest coming on that we're going to talk about some of this artificial intelligence and other things. Lauren is a researcher, host of Big Dig Energy. Lauren is the host of Big Dig Energy, where she does deep dives into topics like psyops, the deep state, advanced technology, and much more. BigDigEnergy.info is where you can go to watch and participate in open source investigations, learn new research techniques, and support Lauren. Website's BigDigEnergy.info. On X, her handle is some B-I-T-C-H-I-I, no. And Rumble is Big Dig Energy. So after this one-minute break coming up in 20 seconds, we're going to be diving in for the next 20 minutes into some of these topics, exploring what Lauren has discovered and her thoughts on all of these topics as well. In the meantime, make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com and be the reason we are still on the air. Be the reason that we are going to win this InfoWar against the advancing artificial intelligence and globalism. Very special guest, Lauren, the host of Big Dig Energy, is joining us. Lauren, I saw that you followed me on X this morning. I immediately loved your most recent tweet about DEI becoming Jedi, and I was excited that you were coming on the show today. How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm glad to be here. Uh, well, Jedi is one of those terms that it's actually been around for a few years, but mm. it's new uh, to 
a lot of people. So, uh, yeah, this, uh, but you know, we get to be the Sith, so that can be fun for yeah. everyone. Yeah. So. There's, there's only uh, ever two, how, always a master and an apprentice. <laughs> right. Uh, well, like <laughs> everything, I don't know. It's just so cringe. Sorry. I'm yeah. trying to watch my words, but, uh, it, it's, it's so, it's so cringy and, uh, it's, it's hard to navigate and the whole kind of aspect of cringiness kind of got ramped up a bit recently with this whole Gemini thing with Google. Right. And, uh, I started looking into it and I, I asked the question of what applications does this have within their kind of tentacles that are already embedded in our K-12 system. And mm. it's not, it's not looking good. So, uh, I've been kind of exploring that a bit, which, uh, yeah, so tell no, me what happened there. Talk about. Did this did this expand just with the advent primarily of the pandemic and lockdowns? So Google integrating in all these school systems so that k- kids could learn, for lack of a better term, remotely? Well, you know, it certainly does seem so. Uh, Chromebooks became a, a staple in classrooms, yeah. right? After, yeah. uh, after COVID started, or, you know, COVID started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's just now the acceptable practice, the norm in classrooms, which is unfortunate, obviously, for a lot of reasons. And uh, that that's part of what they say in the papers about their education applications. Like, well, it's already in classrooms, already using it, might as well keep it going, right? Mm-hmm. Which I, of course, have concerns about. I, <laughs> I like that you showed the video uh, that I sent to uh, y'all's producer. That's amazing. I, there was... <sighs> Where did my notes go? I have some notes to actually, some things that they said in there. Oh, there there they are. Some things that they said in there that I, I wanted to highlight. Uh, one being uh, that it's, you know, that presentations, creating lessons and presentations can take minutes instead of hours, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've we've seen now, I mean, everyone has seen, I feel like at this point, the result of creating images in minutes with Gemini AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine that expanded into a full lesson plan for a right you know, the, the, the woke infrastructure that's being used to train these image models <laughs> right. has got to be either the same or very similar to the ones used to train the language models that create the outlines and lesson plans and syllabus and things like that right and secondarily i want to highlight where they said that dashboards can reveal real-time insights into students progress and even their process uh and obviously i've looked through some of the papers and their you know their ai governance rules they have a a nice little bullet pointed list of things that you know we're we're good don't worry about it kind of thing right but um i have major concerns about privacy and and the mm-hmm. data of students obviously and google is not without a litany of uh, scandals of well violating people's privacy you know sure. expectations sure. so uh, and the fact that they integrate into their it's the google workspace for education i mean it and it integrates things like gmail and google slides and I, it, I would be lying to you if i didn't say that i haven't used these tools before sure. i mean i feel like everyone has right but when you talk about bringing that into a classroom i just i my expectation is higher for privacy and safety, but what, and you know, what do I know? I'm just a conspiracy theorist on the internet. So, so I, I've used a lot of AI <laughs> tools myself for a number of different creative projects and I've encountered right. the woke stuff and the problems with it, but I'm somebody who has a nuanced enough understanding of these tools that I can navigate and circumvent some of these, these issues with censorship and controlled responses to prompts, things like mm-hmm. that, especially if I use multiple tools 
sort of creatively in coherence with one another or cohesion. Mm-hmm. So right. obviously with a little bit of experience using these tools, I understand how a well-intentioned or good-intentioned organization or person, and that's not Google, could right. implement and use these tools in a healthy, very efficient way for education mm-hmm. or a number of different applications. So is there a way for artificial intelligence to be used in education that d- doesn't just scream dystopian apocalypse? <laughs> I, you know, I certainly think so. I don't think I'm as well versed on you on the prompting, I guess, is kind of the way that people generally refer mm-hmm. to being able to uh, utilize these tools. And I, and I, you know, not to denigrate teachers because I there's a lot of educators in my family and friends and whatnot, but I highly doubt that the average K through 12 educator is going to be super well-versed in prompting as well. And that's the issue, right? right? And where, and where there might be skill in prompting, you also have the issue of, are they going to be motivated to do that when right now the prompt responses so well align with the very skewed worldview that many of these activist teachers hold. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, I, there, there might be a way forward. I don't necessarily have a, have anything in mind for that. I, you know, I, I come to you with problems, not really solutions, unfortunately, sure. Sure. for I, this I run one today. The but, uh, all, all the time. <laughs> I, I, I try to, I, I try to balance out solutions with with the problems of the world. I feel like that's something that's sorely lacking uh, in a lot of online discourse. You know, we all just kind of want to talk about it, but there's got to be some sort of solution. But unfortunately, with AI, I mean, I'm still learning along with the rest of everyone else. And to be quite honest, I've been very reluctant to use a lot of these tools uh, because of the very glaring issues mm-hmm. with their basic utilization. So um, was I've been very excited. I, I don't understand oh, how, sorry. I don't understand why Google came out with Gemini. Certainly they, they tested it and were aware of this issue, but they decided to release it on sure. a massive scale anyway. Why do you think that they did that? Well, I think I think they thought they were ready because I'm I'm sure that the people they had testing it, they according to their documentation, they have a thousand people worldwide uh, from all various, like over 50% outside of the United States with all various backgrounds and idea, I guess, well, I don't say ideologies, but it's kind of insinuated, right? Mm-hmm. And I assume that the people that they had testing it probably didn't see any issue with a lot of the responses that wow, they were getting. Wow, you really think it was they really, didn't notice? Like, this seems fine to me. Elon Musk. Well, I mean, I can't remember this guy. <laughs> That's just, he looks kind of so like absurd. that. It's, it's so <laughs> absurd. Well, even the guy, I can't remember his name. I do have him in my archive somewhere. But one of the main uh, engineering architects of Gemini on Twitter before kind of recanting his statements was saying, well, I don't see anything wrong with these responses because they are accurate, even if it's not what you expected. You know what I mean? It's not, I don't think they did see anything wrong. (laughs) That's what a headline. (laughs) Yeah. Racially diverse Nazis. (laughs) If only Nazis were more inclusive. (laughs) But I, it was, it was a moment where, well, you know what they act, that's a whole different history discussion for a different time, to be honest, but there, uh anyways uh <laughs> it was a moment though it was so interesting i guess it was last tuesday uh it was a moment where the emperor had no clothes and for once 
it seemed like everyone was watching at the same time. It doesn't really matter what your ideology is, what your political views are or slant. Everyone was looking and everyone was appalled by it, which is what I found really impressive. The, uh, I've seen quite a few tech gurus on, on Twitter, which I don't really, you know, a lot of their like rhetoric and verbiage is very lofty and flowery prose. Mm-hmm. But a, a lot of them are very concerned about the long-term ramifications of this because their overall synopsis is, imagine working on this or being recruited to work on this and knowing that this is the product that ultimately will be put out and your name will be attached to it. No person who wants to work with generative AI, large language models is going to want to be anywhere near something like this. And to that, I say, good, maybe we should like pump the brakes a little bit, to be honest. But uh, everyone was watching and the almost unanimous response was, this is absurd, you know? Uh, And the fact that we have these tools that are so powerful and are capable of doing so many great things, consolidating information, synthesizing a lot all together all at once. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yeah, Um, yeah. it takes a while to get used to the crews throwing up these stills. They're so good. (laughs) But the first order of business that we we ask this very powerful tool. We give you inclusive Well, you're going to get them. Look at the shading on the cheekbones. It's beautiful. Yeah, and the, uh, and the shape of that helmet. Very Hugo Boss. <laughs> I, I kind of, yeah, it is. Well, it's, it's a sharp looking uniform, right? Uh, <laughs> the world super villains are always the best dressed. <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you know what? He's. He, I hate to say it, but he's kind of growing on me a bit. It's yeah. like he, his, he, he seems to be kind of recovering from his TBI. Uh, a yeah. bit but yeah he's he's definitely doing the, better since the, since the stroke <laughs> right well the first order of business though that we ask these very powerful tools though is to lie yes and that's exactly you, you can 100% you can 100% argue and, and no one there saw force could foresee that that was going to be a major issue which is again absurd these are some of according to the you know according to the google these are some of the best and brightest in the world and they couldn't foresee right, that right. rai is now capable of violating three of the ten commandments <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's literally programmed yeah, but, to sin bro <laughs> but, we're aiming for four we're aiming for five by the end of q4 all right we right. Go, we have goals it's good <laughs> Good to have goals. That's awesome. <laughs> so I got a question, and I don't mean to throw you a curveball or the crew a curveball. Maybe the crew can no, look this up. Ahead. I don't know what Gemini means. What What is Gemini? It's, a, it's an astrological term, right? The age of Gemini. Well, well what does the symbolism mean? It's, it's, well, it's twins, right? And oh. it's like, hang on. Like clones? Uh, I, you know. Because it's always interesting to... Gemini is the twins. Caster and Pollock. The twins? There we go. Wow. And uh, they were, uh, the gods worshipped by the ancient Greeks and Romans. And uh, yeah, that's where it comes from. That's fascinating. Because it's always interesting to look at what these things are named. Operation Overlord, right? D-Day Invasion. All these names that come out, Paperclip, Mockingbird, what have you, always have some sort of context or, or meaning or association with the real purpose or theme or zeitgeist behind these projects. So I wonder why they called it Gemini. Because they can't make a twin of anybody white. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) Man, I'm looking at the, like the history of Castor and Pollux. That is some, that's dark. I'm not familiar. It's heteropaternal, super fecund, 
super fecundation, which is where there's two separate uh, embryo from two separate fathers in the same birth. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So like a really rare form of twins. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, wow. Uh, Anyway, yeah, I, I don't. That ooh, I'm gonna yeah, do a deep dive into that later. That probably takes more time than we have, but that that is fascinating that they would yeah, choose to name it Gemini. Yeah, there's there's a lot there um, for sure. Uh, I, honestly, I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought. Yeah. But that's a good that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I guess, mate. Well, I don't know. So there. That's my answer. I don't know. That's not okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, it, it, how entrenched now that everybody's on Chromebooks and things of that nature? Do we know specifically Sorry. what tools or how Google means to implement this AI into the classroom, to what extent has it already been done? And what is the game plan over the next several years? Is it going to take over 90% of education? What percentage do you foresee of students' time is going to be interacting with artificial intelligence instead of a real human being? Well, I, I don't have the, ex I did try to find this. I haven't found the exact numbers yet, but they do have the Google for education, their education dashboard. I don't, I assume it's been implemented quite a bit mm. because Google Classroom is used. Like I know, for example, someone very in my like nuclear family uh, who is an educator was made to use Google Classroom. Mm. So I know that it's being used broadly. And this is in Alabama. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know how broadly it's being used, though. It'd be interesting to find out. Uh, and I think it's for anything lesson plans, uh, submitting homework through like slides and documents or, or what I, I think it's very broadly used. And not only that, but you have to think that Google owns YouTube mm -hmm. and they highly encourage Google like or YouTube educational videos. They even offer that as an explanation. And as YouTube continues to be more integrated with AI, um, that's it's very multifaceted. I don't have, you know, exact numbers or estimates for you. It's kind of a sure. developing story. But my, my whole point and even highlighting this at all is that they even mentioned specifically on their site, they're talking about elevating education or elevating educators. They say with Gemini, educators get a collaborative partner can, that can help them save time, get inspired with fresh ideas and create captivating learning experiences for every student. And so, like they're already planning or, or implementing right. Gemini. We're not replacing you. We're within, making you better at your job. <laughs> Yeah, but realistically, I even saw people uh, levying this criticism against Google in the comments of that YouTube video because G Gmail. I can't believe I use they a kept Gmail the comments for a lot on. Of, right, uh, I, I use a Gmail for like my throwaway email, and and people were saying that you know if people are just responding to each other with the kind of pre, uh, pre you know, they kind yeah, of generate like a response. Yeah, yeah. finish your sentence for like, you and stuff like that. Yeah. It's just Google having a conversation with itself. It's very weird. It's re it's removing the human part of human interaction, and I, ultimately, that's what we crave the most. Like, I, it feels when we get into this uncanny valley of everyone responding to everything with "Sure, that sounds great," but you know that that was because it was what was suggested to you, or what? It's it's just weird. I, mm -hmm. And I've, I've I feel like a lot of people. I think I really foresee eventually there being a cultural movement uh, where people intentionally seek out you know media 
information discussions that are have not been touched by AI at all. I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe there will be some sort of watermark or symbol or like a hashtag or something. But I really feel like that's going to become a cultural movement very soon because there's so much of it out there. Well, it, I think and, it's going to get to the point where everybody just assumes that whatever they're consuming was created by AI. It's going to be so so saturated. But <laughs> the thing that like scares me about this specifically is, but you can tell, right? You too, can though, so, kind of. So now, you can tell well, you true. can tell with images. But you can't necessarily tell with with copy. Uh, but the thing oh. that's scary to me about this is, from my experience, <laughs> Sorry. AI you're fine. AI makes whatever you're <laughs> trying to do more efficient. It ramps up the efficiency of whatever you're trying to create or make or respond. And right. we have a situation in our education system where it's very obviously of a very specific political persuasion. At scale. Right. It's very left leaning. Mm -hmm. It embraces things like critical theory. It's very woke. And so if they add AI to that as a tool, it's going to, it's going to hyperspeed or ramp up the efficiency of that political philosophy, of that social philosophy. Like this artificial intelligence was made 50 years ago. We'd be a much different country because the ideals and culture and values of America back then were embodied in a much different way than they are now. So it seems like we're coming up on the last lap of the race for the in the culture war before AI right. just exacerbates the disparity between traditional American values and this new age critical theory stuff. There is definitely, though, a generation gap, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, fortunately, there's still you know, this might be a controversial take, but fortunately, there are still quite a few living, uh, you know, boomers and, of course, Gen X that no one ever seems to remember uh, that by and large, seem to reject a lot of this technology. So I don't think that it'll become a super mainstay for at least another. I I think that that will be one of the things to stave it off the most, to be quite honest. You'll have people who are younger embracing it, of course. But realistically, I mean, even (laughs) I find myself becoming a bit of a curmudgeon. Curmudgeon, curmudgeon about technology. Yeah, yeah there we go. You're a about technology, old man. quite a bit. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I'm like, get off my lawn, take your stupid Apple headset off, you absolute oh, yeah. nerd. I don't, I don't, I, saw, <laughs> I don't know. I saw a picture earlier, which of course these are meant to evoke like a, a m- emotional response, but like it was a some like tech bro at his wedding with a apple headset like strapped to his face during while saying his vows i'm like what wow. is wrong Just with streaming porn even if this is even if- <laughs> <laughs> i'd literally rather be anywhere else <laughs> anywhere else but i i mean i'm sure that it was done to you know right to, to get uh you know clicks and views which of course mission accomplished but still there are there are people out there like this i've already seen pictures there was like of a of like a street performer like doing you know magic and it was it was cool he's like making like the old like making a piece of paper float and it was it was fun and in the background there's like this that. dude like in a panera the wall. or something yes with like a headset strapped to his face and it's like there's cool stuff going on all around you but you would rather be you know on right. Pornhub or or whatever kitty right. for I'm about to swear. Sorry, my cat took like a flying leap out of my. So my concern is, my concern is if I'm here, if we don't embrace AI technology and learn how to use it ourselves and make our own AI models, my concern is if we if we reject it, then the only people who adopt it and use it will be those of a political persuasion that is unhealthy. 
to say the least. Sure. And if that's the case, well, then I'm, doesn't that doesn't that give the enemy a tremendous advantage if we just disregard and sort of ignore this dragon or or, or, or shove this under the rug or under the bed? Doesn't that give them an advantage in terms of uh, being able sorry. to use these tools against us and exacerbate this power disparity, the struggle that we're having for culture? Yeah, sorry, my cat is being okay. a cat right now. Uh, <laughs> Um, well, you know, I, to highlight, I know that he, you know, love him or hate him, uh, Andrew Torba, who is the CEO of Gab, has developed yeah. Gab AI. And I'm actually really excited about it because he's put a lot of heart and soul into it because he saw this, you know, he saw, I actually, I asked him a question uh, in DM the other day. I asked him, when did you see the writing on the wall for this? When did this kind of come come to you that this is something that we were going to need? And he's been working on it since, or kind of the implementation of it since last February. And I'm really excited about it. I really kind of, I didn't really get how it would possibly be useful to someone like me uh, up until I started kind of exploring the the possibilities with him. And again, I know like not everyone loves Torba, not everyone loves Gab. I do personally, uh, because I like the whole point is that there needs to be room on, on the internet for these sort of uh, discussions to be had and all at all. And I, I think that uh, ultimately other people are going to see that this uh, gap exists in the marketplace in general. It's, it's really great. Um, I'm a big fan of it. It's it's completely separate from the uh, social media platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you don't have to join Gab in order to use it. Cat, I swear. I need to. So they, so they throw, basically looks like they made my a cat across chat the GPT, but it doesn't have the same woke parameters. No, no it doesn't. It doesn't have any, uh, you know, guardrails on it. And they actually mm-hmm. have uh, various characters. So you can... You can implement any sort of bias that you want it to have, but you have to, you know, acknowledge that there's a there is a bias to calm your kitty down. <laughs> you know what? No, it's because she's just like after the when we go on commercial break, I'm gonna throw across the room. <laughs> I am a cat lady. Uh, <laughs> gently pet her. She is. Oh, boy. Well, but, Lauren, it has been awesome to have you on on the show. We are yeah. coming up on a break here in 20 seconds. I want to encourage everybody to check out BigDigEnergy.info and some B-I-T-C-H-I-I know on X. We'll have to do this again. You I love the conversation. It. Thank you so much for joining us. It was an honor yeah. and pleasure. And stick with us, folks. We are going to be taking calls for the last 30 minutes of the show this morning. Make sure you call in after this break. Make sure you call on 877-789-2539. We are going to be taking calls for the remainder of the hour. I'm going to let the crew have a chance to screen these calls as they're coming in. I see the lines are blowing up. So the sooner you call, the more likely I am to be able to get to you. A great conversation with Lauren from Big Dig Energy in the last segment. Fascinating to see how all of these major corporations and government entities are trying to regulate and implement AI all at the same time to ensure no one else has the power of these tools. No one can make a competitor artificial intelligence and only their programs and AI will be running the world, raising our children, educating our children, brainwashing our populace. The info war has now escalated to a weapon of mass artificial intelligence brainwashing. Apple investors reject call for report into company's AI use. This is from Bloomberg. Apple Inc. shareholders rejected a labor-backed request for an artificial intelligence transparency report, which would have delved into whether the company is using the technology ethically. The labor-backed is typically a red flag because that reminds me of union and sounds like disgruntled employees worried they'll be replaced by AI. 
But the fact that they're coming after it for being used unethically is interesting. Let's see. The proposal submitted by AFL-CIO equity index funds was voted down at Apple's annual meeting on Wednesday. Shareholders also rejected measures about equal employment policies, civil liberties, racial and gender pay gaps, and human rights. They approved the board slate and the company's executive compensation plan. The AI proposal urged Apple to disclose the ethical guidelines that it follows in adopting the technology artificial intelligence raises, quote, a number of social policy issues according to the measures supporting statement. That includes whether it may result in biased decisions against employees or violate the privacy of customers. Statement also warned about the threat of layoffs stemming from the automation. There you go. It's not about ethics. It's just about they're worried about losing their jobs. Just like Ross Story suing OpenAI. They're just worried about losing their jobs. I'm telling you, folks, the more you fight against the coming tide, the more you become swept into the sea. Big changes are coming. We can't stop the changes from coming, but we can determine their trajectory. So to resist artificial intelligence itself is futile. We have to figure out how to use it to fight back as a countermeasure against these establishment AIs like Gemini and others, which will conquer the world. I'm not talking about conquering the world like Terminator or the Matrix necessarily, though it could be something like the Matrix. In a physical sense, I mean conquering the world by conquering the minds of all people. There's an expression, I can't remember who said it and exactly how it goes, something like, I don't care about a nation's politics as long as I control their money. Something like that. Those who control the money control the people or the power of the politics. Well, this is shifting. It's also true, but those who control the minds of the people control the politics and the money and everything. And artificial intelligence is being used disproportionately by globalists and evil corporations and evil governments to ensure a monopoly over our minds. Thought used to be the greatest diversity. Every individual in their own head has their own brain totally disconnected from everything else and independent thought was inevitable. Every time they tried to quash free speech, it didn't work. Every time they tried to silence thoughts, it didn't work. Every time they tried to quell freedom of religion it didn't work because the minds were autonomous of individuals and things like the reformation or the renaissance or the american revolution were all inevitable outcomes of these futile attempts of tyrants to control the hearts minds and property of people worldwide but now that these tyrants have this tool and they seemingly are the only ones with this tool as of now they have an incredibly disproportionate amount of influence. It's like the United States when we were the only nation with nuclear weapons. Of course, that's the only time a nuclear weapon was actually used in combat was when only one nation had it. Now, the globalists are the only entity with this artificial intelligence of any substantial nature. Yeah, you can look at GAVAI and others that compete and Grog and things of that nature, and they're fine. They're, they're, they're getting there, but they're nothing compared to these tools compared to stable diffusion, compared to open AI's massive amounts of computing power, processing, training, resources, tens of millions of dollars. And if we don't figure out a way to adapt and use and innovate this technology ourselves in the info war, we will lose. 
Let's take a call from Larry in Florida. Larry, what's on your mind? Very much. Jeff, the speaker here. Um, just read an interesting piece this morning that I think is worth uh, y'all taking a look at and then you know sharing with the listeners. And that is back in November of 2019, a couple of weeks after uh, President Trump was elected, uh, there, Joe Biden, who was then, I'm sorry, not in 19, in, in 15, and uh, Joe Biden made a call to the then president of Ukraine. He was our our Ukrainian guy, Poroshenko. And basically, it was run on OAN, One American Network, mm -hmm. uh, back then. And I think folks like you and me just said, eh, more proof of the Biden family corruption in Ukraine. But when you look at it, basically, he was specifically saying to the president, we don't really want this President Trump guy to get too familiar with what's going on over in Ukraine. And so we want to tamp down his, his curiosity and his knowledge. Right. And that's really important for your safety, yours being Poroshenko, the then president, uh, and for the, for the economic security of the country. Um, now, when it comes out that the CIA, basically, their main base of operations has been Ukraine, uh, it looks like that that would probably that was probably bigger than the the, the call than the intent behind it because then Trump you know made the call and obviously uh, Zelensky had taken office and Trump got impeached on it at least in the House uh, so it's worth looking at it, it again it was run on OAN the clips about a minute forty seconds but if you look at the wording there it was it was carefully worded. But it was was clearly a message, you know, don't talk to Trump, don't make any special requests, don't give him the reason to call you and start to inquire further. And that that was probably our CIA getting real concerned that if the pre then incoming president started to get information and started to really sniff around, he might figure out what they were doing over there. And he had to shut it down in a heartbeat uh, in terms of their, you know. There, there, there are dozen bases. That's the ones they talk about in the Times. They were careful to word that. That doesn't mean there was only a. That there is only a dozen bases, by the way. Well, if he um, does, if he didn't and, know then about all that, he certainly knows now. So, what measures do you think that they'll take to prevent him from coming into office? We just got about thirty seconds left. Uh, my honest opinion is, I think they will do anything and everything they can to prevent him from having an opportunity to come into office and. If, and, and sadly, and, and you know, I'm a grandfather at this point, so I'm okay. But if, if they don't think they can win this election, steal this election, in my opinion, uh, they'll go to World War III just because there's too many of them that if Trump takes office, they're going to go to jail and probably go to the gallows. Wow. So it's, uh, it's Larry, a, thank you so you much know, for your call. We're coming up on a break, but those are great points there. Thank you for enlightening me about that. I'm having the crew look up that clip and we'll take a look at it. More calls on the other side. Make sure you stick with us. Visit InfoWarsStore.com. Be the reason we're still on the air. I'm going to go to Mr. Process in the beginning of the next segment. Right out of the gate, I want to speak with Mr. Process in Wisconsin. Tunnels on Earth and Mars. How can anyone say no to a call like that? What's on your mind? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, have you heard of Erdstahls first? E R S-T-A-L-L-S. They're tight and narrow secret underground hidden tunnels and cave rooms scattered throughout Europe dating to the uh, Middle Ages. I've heard of those tunnels, but I've not heard that term. Okay, so there's these 
uh, middle-aged tunnels. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was wondering, you know, tunnels are so hot right now with Metro and Gaza, Mm -hmm. Hummus Hideaway, you know, uh, New York, rabbi holes and the border in Ukraine of of Vika, frozen poo tube, the border, you know, tunnels everywhere. And I was wondering, thinking about, you know, big tunnels, you know, where the biggest tunnels in the solar system are. Mm. And anyways, the biggest tunnels are on the planet Mars, created by like old super volcanoes, the biggest of which is Olympus Mon. So the lava just tore through the the planet and created these tunnels? Yeah, uh, and these tunnels can be fed atmosphere and uh, breathable atmosphere from below the crust. Mm. And they're huge, Chase. They're like 1,300 feet in diameter. Wow. And whistleblowers like Andrew Basiago and Will Stillings claim that Nikola Tesla tech was modified by DARPA and made jump rooms, and none other than Barry Sorrento and uh, the director of DARPA and others time-traveled and space-traveled to Mars with orders, quote, to be seen and not get eaten. The article is from uh, January 3rd, 2012, uh, Wired magazine. Uh, White House denies Obama CIA, uh, I mean, White House denies CIA teleported Obama to Mars. (laughs) So, you know, I continued. It's a real article. I believe you. What a headline. I continued. And I was wondering, like, you know, if there's life on Mars, intelligent life or even marooned Martian humans. Yeah. That's what happens when you have an open border. Everybody just goes to your planet. Yep. Yeah. So like I went down this moon rabbit hole, you know, and like I was looking at like how wild it gets, you know, and um, Io, uh, one of Jupiter's 80 moons uh, is totally insane. Um, It's one of four Galilean moons discovered by Galileo in 1610. Mm. And, you know, it's Io, Callisto, Europa, Ganymede. And Ganymede has a magnetic field and has 100 kilometer deep salt water oceans, more water than Earth. And like Ganymede in ancient mythology carried water for Zeus or Jupiter or God. Like how they mm-hmm. know back then that there was water on Ganymede. Yeah. Anyways, Iowa's is wild. I'll tell you some factoids about Iowa as your crew pulls up an image from the NASA article, quote, for your processing pleasure, the mm-hmm. sharpest pictures of Jupiter's uh, volcanic moon, Io in a generation. So we sent like a few probes that way, Voyager in the 70s and Galileo spacecraft. But Juno, the latest probe, had a high-res cam slapped on it originally not even the design in the design nasa right away sent the juice mission after that after all the wild discoveries they saw with the camera uh juice stands for jupiter icy moon explorer and then just recently on december 30th 2023 juno flew just 930 miles above the surface of io which is known as the moon of fire and ice um and you know the entire moon imagine chase the entire moon is a giant power plant mm-hmm. generating 400,000 volts of electricity every time it transverses the Jupiter's North Pole, creating this like plasma toroidic bond between Io and Jupiter. Well, and Nikola Tesla has done a lot of re- research in the atmospheric remote acquisition and control of electricity. He famously lit up a light bulb, yeah. I believe, a mile away from the source. You can see it on Jupiter. It creates this, like, like I said, donut electric mm-hmm. uh, connection. Like the, the magnetic field? Jupiter. No, like a electrical ion charge mm. donut between Jupiter and the moon. And, you know, we've all heard of the hexagon on Saturn. That's nothing compared to, like, on Jupiter, the Jovian octocube spiral. You know, it's like 
there's so much power being pumped through and so much gravitational forces. It's the ground and uh, raises and falls 330 feet. They have 400 volcanoes on this moon, mountains bigger than Everest, 3,000 degree Fahrenheit magma lakes with islands of in uh, a like a sulfur dioxide so, so what's tundra with that's, that's all fascinating but what 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 is the point of of this i mean obviously the fact that it's got an insane climate and insane electrical charge what are the implications for us other than the fact that it's just interesting space science yes uh well if you look for candidates for like something that would be like uh farmed or you know a moon a moon base mm-hmm. you know that sci-fi stuff we always heard of mm-hmm. you know i thought like that would be a great candidate because you know, it's a power plant uh, connected to Jupiter. You know, you could get so much power from that. And if you look at the pictures, why I bring this up from that article, you can look for yourself and, you know, let your imagination run wild. But you can see this, like, giant metal triangle building jutting out of one of the mounts that's, like, clearly visible. There's, like, a circular window at the top of it, and there's, like, a statue or antenna. You zoom and enhance on on the shadow of the building. Um, I don't know if you have the, the picture pulled up. You're putting the crew to work. They're earning their money this morning. <laughs> Mr. Process. Yeah, so if you look at the picture, you can, like, if you look at the center of the picture, and then just there's, like, a little L, uh, upside-down L-shape, inverted mm-hmm. L-shape, and then there's a, a mound in the center. And then you just go a little up from there, and you really can't miss it. I just don't know what I'm looking at there. And, you know, I looked through 185 pages of these pictures and there's a bunch of different angles. It looks just as weird. And I don't know, you know, I was fascinating, I thought it was fascinating stuff. Well, Mr. I Process, thank you for, for calling. I, I appreciate it. I don't know what to think of all that. I, I think I need to do a deep dive and look into it, but I appreciate you enlightening me about these tunnels and how they're mirrored on other planets and some of these theories about some scientific advancements that might be resulting in, incredible incredibly sophisticated efforts from our, our government our deep state I appreciate that let's hear from sean in denver sean you wanted to talk about ai and overall dangers sean what's on your mind yes i always uh call in to talk about these uh psyops that are going on within mm-hmm. the uh truth or community and ai is one of them if we think that we need to you know grab a hold of it and use it for our benefit mm-hmm. it's just something that we outright need to reject you think it's because like the ring of power, uh, so there's no using it, it just consumes you? Something like that, yeah, because basically we need to understand what AI is, and that is uh, disembodied spirit of the Nephilim, which is a demon. And that is what you're talking to when you're talking to, you know, these chatbots and whatnot, and people just need to be aware and have a real conversation about, you know, what demons are and what their capabilities are and you know, what Nephilim are and what's the difference between Nephilim and... Why do you think that the know, AI the is, 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 is a demon? I, I don't understand. And I, I'm not trying to be, like, uh, you know, unfair with you or anything like that. I legitimately want to know because to me it just seems like very powerful, complicated math that is used either for good or evil. It doesn't seem to me to be the embodiment of some sort of supernatural, demonic, or Nephilim force. Can you explain that a little bit to me? Well, it doesn't necessarily have to be evil. It could be used by good, right? See, God has his angels and the devil has his. So, mm-hmm. But the devil is the prince of the air. His, this is pretty much his dominion, right? He's using his dominion, but that's not to say that AI can't be used for good and that they, the good angels can intercept 
and also, you know, put some positive stuff out there. I'm not saying that it's completely bad to use. I'm just saying the overall idea, like we need it. No, we should overall reject that idea. But I mean, like I said, there, there's there's ways to use the internet. There's ways to use AI before it come, becomes completely dangerous and a risk. And already we're starting to tread on that risky stuff with, you know, when it comes to like not being able to identify people and who they are when they call in and give you messages and stuff. You think you're talking to, talking to Tucker Carlson when you're talking right. to an AI robot or something. Right. It becomes extremely dangerous. So this is where we're head, we're, we're already in that cusp where it's like, all right, pump the brakes enough. Um, we're playing with demons here. And that's really what's behind this. And like I said, there's other forces that can be used behind it for good, right? We can, you know, put some messages out there, but we really need to just say no, like Kyle Reese and Terminator, man, just, you know, mm-hmm. be hitting that warning and warning people, like just saying no, you know yeah. what I mean? Just rejecting the robot. Sean, I appreciate your, your call and your thoughts system. on this. And I don't mean to cut you off. It's just we're coming up on a break pretty soon. I think you made a lot of really good points. And unfortunately, it's come to a point, I think, my humble opinion, where there's no turning back. This AI thing is like a locomotive. Once it's going, you can't turn it back. And we already opened Pandora's box. There's no closing it. So now we have to decide what we're going to do with the discovery of this fire. Are we going to use it to burn down and destroy? Or are we going to use it to fight fire with fire? Stay tuned, folks. More on Infowars.com forward slash show today. And visit Infowarsstore.com today. Put us on the air. 